My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, we are really thankful to be back in the book of Acts, and if you're joining us for the first time, perhaps, or it's been a while, you could go onto our page at isunrise.com that has all of our message. We've been in the book of Acts since September, and we actually wrap it up next Sunday, so it's pretty cool to see the end, and today we get to see an amazing part of Paul's journey. Now, uh, two years ago, actually now, Pastor Kevin and I got to go on a Footsteps of Paul tour, and we were able to go to most of the sites in Turkey and Greece where Paul was a part of starting churches and ministering to churches and sharing the gospel. We got to see stadiums and arenas. We got to see a lot of the temples of that day and age. It was pretty Amazing. But one of the really cool things we got to do was a little bit of a variant. We got to see the the location of the seven churches of Revelation, and we got to go to the Isle of Patmos. Now, the Isle of Patmos is a tiny little island uh, off the coast of Turkey. It's actually a part of Greece, uh, but it's in the Aegean Sea. And uh, it was a really great thing because we got to take the ferry ride over there, the little boat ride over there. Uh, All told, it was about six hours. One of the trips was three, another was three. And we got to go there and we got to hike up and see the cave where tradition says Paul or John received the revelation from Jesus Christ. And um, and back then it was just kind of a prison sentence island. There wasn't much going on, but now it's pretty hustling and bustling. And afterwards we went down to the cafe area along the harbor, got to eat the most amazing Greek salad, and we got to head back. Now, but what I will never forget is the, the boat ride back. Because as we got back on the boat, the captain said, hey, we just want you to know it's going to be a little challenging heading home because we are going to to be entering into a storm in the next couple hours. Now, I personally got excited about that because I thought, well, that'd be cool. The Apostle Paul talked about being on a boat in the Aegean Sea and going through storms. In fact, it says in the text uh, in, in, uh, in Corinthians that three times he had been in shipwrecks. Now, I didn't want to be in a shipwreck, that's for sure. But as uh, we progressed, all of a sudden the sky grew dark, the waves began to rise, the wind began to pound, it began to rain, and we were in a serious storm in the middle of the Aegean Sea. Now, I didn't get seasick because I was way too excited because all I could think about was, in a very real sense, this is exactly what Paul was going through. Of course, my boat was much more like a ship and uh, much sturdier and uh, a lot more technology and radar and GPS and things like that. But I thought, you know, this is pretty exciting to think this is part of the journey of Paul 
And we've been seeing that journey of Paul as he has traveled around the whole part of the world that he had at the time and planting churches. He gets thrown into jail, accused of crimes. And we're going to see the continuing part of the story in just a moment. Um, But I want to know how many of you have actually been on a cruise uh, if you have, you probably know that, um, you know, that they can be wonderful times. I've never done it. My wife and I have never done it. We think it'd be great. We've got friends that cruise a lot. We've not done that. Uh, sounds great. You get to eat a lot. You get to hang out on the deck. Uh, you get to get seasick or you get food poisoning or you get coronavirus. Who knows? Uh, but we've never been on a, on a journey like that. But, but back in the day of the Apostle Paul, a sea journey was not the same as a princess cruise. That's for sure. There was no love boat going on at Paul's day. In fact, ships were only meant for cargo, and so if you were a passenger, you were just an extra fare that they included uh, to weigh the ship down and to get you from point A to point B. There were no cabins, so passengers, you would just live on top of the deck there in the sun. You'd probably try to stay underneath uh, one of the shade of the mainsails when the sun was shining. There was no food or drink service. There was no, uh, you know, just guide to activities because there were no activities. You had to carry your own provisions on the ship. You couldn't simply just book a cruise, but you would go down to the harbor and you would look at a ship as it was loading its goods. You would inquire about the destination. You would haggle about the fare and you would hop on board and you would pray for a safe journey. And that is exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. But before we get to the story, I've been thinking about this question the last couple of weeks. And the question is, why? Why does life happen the way it happens? I mean, how much of life just happens? And how much of it is planned by God? In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a series that begins the summer called Why? And the first question we're going to ask is the number one question that's always asked. If we could ask God anything, it's why is there evil and suffering and pain? Why is there trouble in this life? If you exist, why? Does life just happen to you or is there some master plan? Um, Why does God allow his children to go through suffering and pain? I mean, some of you have. You've gone through some intense suffering. Uh, This COVID-19 has brought health suffering. It's been economic challenges. Uh, You know, kids are at at home. They're not at school or they're at school at home. And, you know, moms and dads, you're pulling your hair out and you don't know how to do this. Teachers, I mean, they're trying to teach over Zoom. Uh, You know, why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does God allow divorce? Why does God allow adultery? Why does God allow murder? Why does God allow us to go off the rails? Why does God allow a society that is so bent on destroying God to continue to exist? Why does he do that? Is there some master plan? Well, I'm here to say I have no earthly idea, so we're just going to close in prayer and you can go home. No, you're actually already home. So uh, I will conclude the message because I think there is a clue in the scripture. We'll see it in two weeks, but we want to see it in the life of Paul. Um, The Bible talks about God's sovereignty. It's a big concept. It's that God is large and in charge. God's sovereignty, that God is ultimate ruler. But, But how far does that go? Uh, Some people, some theologians, some just regular churchgoers would think that God actually causes all the good and evil in the world, that he brings everything for a reason. Uh, Some would say that uh, even in a prophetic way, I've heard this of preachers, that God has brought uh, COVID-19 as a judgment on the world. Uh, You know, and, and, you know, that, I guess that could be true, 
But what kind of God intentionally wants to kill people, intentionally wants to cause people to suffer? I mean, does God actually cause everything to happen? Some of you know friends, family, maybe you've even experienced this yourself. The death of a loved one in a, in a horrible accident, did God cause that? Did he cause that person to pull the trigger? Did he cause that person to drink that drink that ended up in the car accident? Does God cause those things? See, I, I tend to believe that God is sovereign. There's no question about that through Scripture. But that his sovereignty isn't that he forces everything, but that he allows things. Because I believe that God's sovereignty tells us that he does allow good and evil to happen in the world. He brings the rain on the good and the bad, the Bible says. There's a common grace that exists for every person. But the fact is, is that this world is sinful. It's broken. And because of the sinfulness, we do the wrong things. We do sinful things. We cause division. We're jealous. We're, man, we're selfish. We're perverse. We let our anger get the best of us, and we combine that with things, and there is pain and suffering. Even the physical pain, the cancer, the diseases of the world are a part of the sinfulness of the fall of mankind that goes back to Genesis chapter 3, that we can see that God, I believe, can even use evil to bring about good. And, and I want to say it up front, and I want to say it in the middle, and I hope I say it a lot, is that all things... All things in their proper perspective, when they're put together, can bring glory to God and can bring good into our lives. They may not be good things. They may not be things you want to glory in, but they will reflect on the goodness of God when all is said and done. Now, today when we you know, jump into the end, act, Acts 27 and a little bit of 28, we want to see that tail end, uh, and I want to talk about the high points. And because there's so much text, and it's an amazing journey from Caesarea Maritima, from Israel and the coast, all the way to Rome, uh, you can look into that in Acts 27, verses 1, all the way into 28. But I wanted to hit the high points. I wanted to do it in kind of a topical way so that you could see it uh, in the way I was looking at it in the last couple of weeks. First, I want to ask the question, is the Lord in the shackles of life? Because I believe the Lord was in the shackles in Paul's day. Um, if, you, if you look up and you add up all of Paul's journey of being imprisoned or in chains, he was two years in chains when he was in the coast there of Israel, and he was another two years in chains in Rome awaiting trial before the Caesar, before Nero. And if you go to the end of his life, we believe he was released and then captured again, and then he was finally beheaded, as the Bible indicates and tradition tells us. He was also put in chains again for about a year. So in all, Paul was shackled for about five years. This is a picture uh, that a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Carl Rasmussen, took in a museum. These are period, correct. This is, these are Roman shackles. This is what Paul would have had around his wrists. And he would have had those around his wrists because uh, if you remember Shane's story, when he walked through where Paul was first of all, put in chains there at the temple, and he preached the gospel boldly, he would have had those shackles around him for the next four years. And if you take a look at the shackles, you see that there's a center point because depending upon the severity of your crime or how desperate they thought you were as a criminal, they would then wrap a chain from there around your waist or even then they would shackle your feet and wrap it around your feet. And so think about this. Paul was handcuffed. He was handcuffed for four years. You know, over 20 times in the New Testament, it talks about the apostles and how they were put in chains for the sake of Christ. 
Now, what would you do in a situation like that? If you were unjustly, unfairly arrested, you were put in handcuffs, you'd probably call a lawyer, right? You'd probably reach out to someone that you knew in politics or in power. You'd probably end up, if it was an unjust thing, you would go on television or you'd go on Facebook or you'd be on the news or you would do something to say, this is not right, this is unjust. I don't deserve these shackles, right? That's not what Paul did. In fact, look at this text from the book of Philippians. Paul is writing to this little church that had given him uh, some support. He had planted this church on his second missionary journey. Look what Paul says as he starts the letter. He says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything has happened to me here. Now think about that, everything. Paul says, I want you to know that everything that's happened in my life, everything in this journey, there's a point to it has helped me to spread the good news. That means that, yeah, you could look at the negative, painful situations in your life, the problems in your life. Paul's Paul's got all that, right? But he says all of those things were beneficial for the spread of the gospel. And so he rejoices in it. All the bad helps spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what we're here for, right? Is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples of all nations. That's why we exist as followers of Jesus Christ, to follow him and share this message. And all of the bad has happened actually to turn around for good. Look what he says here. He says, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, that is the praetorian guard, that is the guard uh, Sentry that would be around Nero himself. All of those um, upper echelon guards that that would protect the emperor himself, Caesar. They've all heard about it. Because I am in chains, they all know about Christ. They know I'm in chains because of Jesus. They know I'm in chains because of the gospel. They know I'm not a criminal. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal anything. I didn't defraud anybody. I didn't impersonate anybody. I just preached about Christ. They all know that now. And history tells us, legend tells us, tradition tells us that many of the people in that uh, Praetorian Guard came to Christ because of the chains. And they wouldn't have come to Christ if it hadn't been for that. Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Imagine if God said, hey, I want to throw you in the dungeons and the pit of doom and despair. I want to send you to a cavern. I want to send you to a cave. I want you to be in cold. I want you to be with bread and water. I want you to go on death row if that will allow people to be encouraged for the gospel. Would you do that? Paul willingly did it. He said, all this bad stuff, all my shackles, all my chains ended up turning out for the good. Now think about that for you and for me. What kind of bad has happened in your life? What kind of bad people have done bad things in your life? What kind of evil? What kind of suffering? Would you be able to say that, you know, all of this, all of this, all of this pain, all of these shackles, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritually, all the suffering, relational, whatever it might be, all of this, God has turned around for the good because I've been able to share the gospel because of it. I know people that when they go to the hospital or when they go to surgery or when they're in a care home, uh, they, they lead people to Christ. And others, they just complain and can't wait to get out, right? Because all they're fed is jello. I think it really depends on what your goal is in life. If your goal in life is to be comfortable, then shackles are not. But if your goal in life is to proclaim the gospel, then shackles might actually do that a good, right? When Paul talks about this, I mean, there's no uncertain terms. He was struggling because of this. But Paul was in chains, and you know what? The gospel could not be chained. 
Then we, next we see in the story, and I want to jump into it right now, we see the Lord in the storm. We see the Lord in the storm, and I've got a photo of, of a, an illustration here uh, of a ship that would have been a cargo ship, a merchant ship at the time of the Apostle Paul, so it would have looked something like this. And um, we know that in Paul's ship and one of the ones he was on, the twin gods uh, of Rome were on there. Uh, this one is a big swan. That looks kind of cool. Um, but um, this is what you would picture, and you're living on the top deck there. And underneath is all the cargo. It's not a very big cruise liner. It's just a small ship. I was talking with my buddy yesterday, and and he was in the Navy, and he talked about how they were uh, up refueling, um, you know, a ship. And, and, uh, you know, when when you're on an aircraft carrier, you're like the biggest beast in the sea, right? And they were there, and they were looking up. They couldn't even see the flight deck. So it's not like that. This is a tiny ship. And here you are on a ship. This is what it says about Paul's journey. It says, the next day, and I'm jumping into the story, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard because they knew that they were going to sink. And so they're tossing everything. This is all of their wealth. This is all of the payment. They're going to be in trouble because of this, but it's better to be alive, right? The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. We go on in the text, two weeks, 14 days it goes on. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. They didn't listen. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But look at this. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. I I like that. It's like, you know what? It's going to be okay even even though you're going to lose your home. It's going to be fine. You know what? Things are going to be okay even though you lose all your retirement. It doesn't matter. Even though the ship is going to go down, you're going to be okay. Because no matter what happens externally in this world to us, we're going to be okay. Take courage. Take courage. And this is what he says. For last night, an angel to God, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. That's kind of, it's like a backhanded compliment, right? It's a slap in the face. Don't be afraid, Paul. You're going to survive this shipwreck. But guess what? You're still going to stand before the emperor, Caesar himself, to stand trial. See, God doesn't say, don't be afraid. I'm going to crash land you on this really cool deserted island, and you're going to live the rest of your life out with palm trees and pineapple, right? A little bit of pina coladas, no? No, it's not that at all. But don't be afraid about this situation, because I still have a mission for you. I still have a purpose for you. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Now think about this. This little vessel is filled with cargo, with sailors, with soldiers, with criminals, and they all get caught in this storm. And the text talks about it as a nor'easter, uh, basically a hurricane, gale force winds. They, this little ship went through a hurricane. They were afraid for their lives. It lasted 14 days, and they had to toss everything over because they feared for their lives. And even though the sun and the stars refused to shine for them, and even though they gave up hope, Paul said, don't be afraid. Now, some of you might feel that way today. I mean, you've lost all hope. Everything has just, you've jettisoned cargo left and right. You've pared yourself down, or you feel like God has pared you down to just the essentials. 
I'm reading through or listening through the Bible again this year, and um, I'm in the book of Job, and Job certainly was a guy that everything got pared down, right? He lost his family, he lost his crops, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost everything, except his wife who said, just, just get it over with, curse God and die, right? But Job said, no, even though I've lost everything and God has pared it all down, blessed be the name of the Lord because he gave and he took away. See, that's a perspective, my friends, we have to have in the middle of a storm. I, I love what it says here. Don't be afraid. To you, I want I, whatever's gone on in your life, whatever turmoil you're going through, whatever wind is pushing against your life right now, whatever rain is beating down, whatever cold storm is shoving the, the ship of your life up and down in fear of darkness, fear of losing your very life, and fear of drowning, don't be afraid. Paul said, don't be afraid. The angel spoke, don't be afraid. Take courage and believe in God. Now, storms don't automatically make us a better person, that's for sure. But why is it that Paul is able to go through shackles, a storm, and in a moment we'll see a shipwreck, an ultimate suffering? Well, because he's, he's practicing the presence of God. He is at peace in the middle of a storm. In the, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of a nor'easter, of a hurricane, He's, he's resting, he's sleeping, and the Lord speaks to him. And I would hope that would encourage you today because in the middle of whatever storm you're going through, God can still speak and you can rest. It could be your failing health. It could be the struggle of a loss of life of those around you. It could be of just the fear and uncertainty of what might happen next with this COVID nightmare that we're in. But don't be afraid. Rest and be at peace. You know, when you conclude that God hasn't left, left you to suffer, but that God is with you, then I believe you can have peace in the midst of a storm. But it does get worse for Paul, and it might get worse for you and for me. That's my little hope for you today. <laughs> it might just get worse, because I want to talk about the Lord and the shipwreck. And now it gets bad. At this point, everything does just fall apart. And it says in uh, verses 40 to 44, it says, So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. It is really coming apart at the seams at this point. The soldiers, it says, wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks and debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped escaped safely ashore. Man, that's a picture, right? The whole thing is collapsing. The whole thing is crushing. The whole thing is falling apart. The splinters, the burst, you can hear the things just exploding as they hit the rocks. And all you need to do is just jump in the water and swim for shore. And everybody made it to safety, it says. They were cold. They were shivering. It was raining. And they were on the island of Malta, it tells us. And so they gathered enough firewood and they started a fire. And if you go into the text, it says that as Paul was gathering the firewood and putting the firewood on there to warm himself and others, uh, a poisonous snake came out and latched onto Paul's hand. Can you just imagine this? Paul's standing there and this snake is just dangling there. And the people look around and go, oh, he must have been a murderer. Look at all the evil that's going on right now. This is just punishment for all of Paul's sins right? Not at all. Just, just to let you know, the evil and struggle and the pain that you are or have gone through, that's not necessarily 
the punishment from God for your sins. This might be the reality of evil in the world and in life. Well, it's a beautiful story. Paul just shakes the snake off and goes on his merry way. And they turn their attention to the fact that he's now alive and not dying. And they go, okay, he's not a criminal. He must be a god. And they begin to worship him, and it's kind of a crazy story. And he ends up healing people on the island, and it's really cool. And, and after a while, they send him back on a ship, and then they end up finally making it to Rome. But, but I think about this. There is, there is a god in the middle of a shipwreck. In the middle of the worst of the worst, in the middle of the car crash of your life, there is a God who is still holding your life together. How does, how does God work in the middle of suffering? As we kind of encapsulate the whole story of Paul at this part in the book of Acts, where is the Lord in the suffering? Why does God allow Paul to go through the pain for the cause of Christ? Why does God allow you and me? Why does he allow us to suffer? Um, my grandma used to read a little devotional called uh, Streams in the Desert, and I, I remember her reading that, and uh, just, a, just a great little daily encouragement. I have my own copy of it, and it's really cool. And one of the days, it's in the end of December, I think it's December 27th or 28th, uh, there, there's uh, this passage from Psalm 108. It's really cool. Let me read it. It says, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. This is in the Old Testament. Joseph, the coat of many colors, Joseph, being sold by his brothers into slavery, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. Now, now, now think about this. If you know the story, uh, Joseph was unfairly uh, put in a pit. Uh, he was thrown then into Potiphar's house, and then he was put into prison, and they laid him in irons. Now, in, in, the, uh, in, in the streams of the desert, the, the author there, Meyer, uh, brings up this really cool little point that the, the Hebrew text actually illustrates the fact that he was laid in iron. It means, though, that iron entered his soul. Yeah, he was put into irons, but because of that, iron entered his soul. I love that. Think about that. Why did God allow Joseph to go through suffering and pain? Well, if you read the story, he was kind of a snotty-nosed, bratty, proud kid. He wasn't the guy that was able to lead a nation to freedom. He wasn't able to, you know, have this incredible, incredible vision and an intense ability to lead Egypt, second under Pharaoh. But God had to put iron into his soul. Joseph was not the same person before and after his suffering. What does it mean to have iron in your soul? I, I, when I thought about this last week, I thought about Margaret Thatcher. What was she known as? The Iron Lady. You know, she was a tough, gritty woman, and she led her country. Are you an iron lady? Are you an iron man? Are you an iron saint? God allows us difficulty to spiritually toughen us up and to add iron into our souls because God wants iron saints. He doesn't want just lightweight saints. He doesn't want pushover saints. He doesn't want proud or just indignant saints. He wants followers who are tough, who know that whatever circumstances happen in your life, that it, it just might be for the cause of the gospel. And you're not w willing to suffer for your own problems, but you're going to suffer for Jesus, right? Absolutely. My friends, don't flinch from suffering. I mean, God, after all, his long-term goal for you isn't to be happy. 
It's not for you to have a pleasant life. It's not for you to retire and, you know, drive around the world in an RV. That's not God's plan for us. God's plan for us is that we become like Jesus. That's his goal for our lives. And if our own Savior suffered, why would we not suffer as well? I, I, I believe that bad things happen. And I believe there's a reason and a purpose God allows them. And I believe that God can take all the bad stuff that happens in our lives and work it out in such a way that good comes out of it. Paul writes, he writes this to the Romans. He says this in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that God causes everything. Now, if you stop there, it's that fatalistic God causes everything. But no, he causes everything to work together. God takes all of the difficulties and pain and suffering and he puts it together. And he does it for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That doesn't mean that the things that happen are necessarily good, but that he causes good. He puts them together in a beautiful painting, a tapestry, that when we look at it, it's like, that's amazing. God causes all the bad stuff, the good stuff, everything to come together for a purpose when we love him. For God knew his people in advance, and here it is, he chose them to become like his son. The translation I read when I was a kid was to be conformed to Christ. That all of the stuff in life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of this come together and forms us and pressures us into the conformity of Christ, into the image of Christ, so that Jesus, his son, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters so that we would then declare the gospel of God. When life is difficult, God takes all the elements and turns them around for his glory and our good. Where is God when there's painful problems in life? Some of you feel that right now. You feel like you're bound by shackles. Your health is struggling. Your finances are struggling. You've lost your job. The uncertainty of when we can open up our country again, we'll open up church again, open up life again, is weighing heavy. Um, some of you, you're in the middle of the storm right now, to be completely honest. It's raging all around you. Some of you, you are in shackles right now, and you are weighed and burdened down. Some of you, you probably feel like you've already shipwrecked your life. you shipwrecked your marriage. you shipwrecked your soul and your hopes and dreams. My friends, God has promised to never leave us or forsake us, but he's never promised to give us an easy life. My family and I are going through a devotional by Randy Alcorn uh, called 90 Days of God's Goodness, and it's, it's, it's been really good, and we read uh, one at night at dinner time, and uh, we read this one this last week with this quote from the great C.S. Lewis, Problem of Pain. I love this. We want, in fact... Not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. <laughs> I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed by such lines, but since it is abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. Wouldn't it be great to have a grandfather in heaven that just buys us candy and gives us quarters and dollar bills and we get to hang out on the porch with him as he's drooling and rocking back and forth and he tells really cool old stories and we sit there and wouldn't that be kind of fun? We don't have a grandfather in heaven, my friends. We have a father in heaven and he loves us and he loves you. And that means sometimes in love he allows the pain and he does it because you know what? He allowed it for his son. Think about this. 
Jesus. Jesus was put in shackles. A cross was laid upon him. He was beat as he was chained up and tied down to that post and he was whipped. Jesus was put in shackles for you, for me, for our salvation. Did Jesus go through a storm? Absolutely. It started on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was weighed down and pressed down, knowing the suffering that was going to happen. When he bled, these sweat drops of blood, it was amazing. And he did it for you and for me. And he went through all of that torture and the humiliation of carrying the cross to the city of Jerusalem and all the way up to that hill of Calvary, Golgotha, up on a cross. Did he go through a shipwreck? Absolutely. For those three hours on the cross when the sky grew dark and all of your sin and my sin was poured upon him, he went through a shipwreck. And if God was willing to do that for his son, for good for you and for me, but he never left him, he never forsook him, what is he willing to do in your life for good, for the cause of the gospel? You know, there, there's one last thought I want to bring out here. Um, all of this applies only to believers in God. If you're a Christian, this applies to you. If you're not a Christian, this does not apply to you. In fact, this is what I read, a little caveat here. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That means that if you're listening to me or watching this, if you're reading this, that just because you have bad in your life doesn't mean God's going to turn it around for good. Because if you don't love him, if you don't have a relationship with him, this does not apply to you. It only applies to people of faith in Jesus Christ who have followed him, who've made a commitment, who through prayer, through confessing with their lips, believing in their heart are saved. Um, for those of you watching that don't have that relationship with God, do all things work together for good? No. All things just work together for garbage. It, it, it just works together for pain and suffering. That you are caught in a sinful pattern that you will never get out of. The Bible says, and Paul writes in Ephesians, and he says this, that before Christ, we're dead. Now, we're, we're spiritually dead. We're walking like the living dead, the, the, the walking dead. We're walking like zombies, that we are spiritually disconnected from God, and there is no good that comes out of our lives, only pain and evil and suffering. And you can eke out a living, and you can try to make something good out of it, but good luck doing that. That's all you've got in this life. That's all you've got. And the best thing that you'll have is what you can work in this life because what's coming next is not going to be good at all. It's going to be pain and suffering. The Bible clearly tells us that. And I don't like that passage. I don't enjoy saying that, but it is a fact. The fact that you will spend an eternity either with God in heaven or away from God in hell. And if you do not know and love God, it is black and white clear in the Bible that you will suffer in punishment for all your sins for eternity. And I do not like that thought. But if you come and receive Christ, if you believe in him, and if you follow him, the Bible says you have a, a relationship with God, first and foremost. Your sins are wiped away, but you have an, an, an eternal life with God, an, an energy that today, even though there's pain and suffering, you will be saved. That you might struggle in this life, yes, no question. That all things will work together for good, yes, even though they might be bad, but that you will have hope, not in this life, but in the life to come. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray for those that who do not know you, that they can't say that 
they love you, that they would love you now in this moment, that they would say yes to believing and yes to receiving Christ, that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that you raise him from the dead and they will be saved. Father, pray for the, the majority of us watching, we're believers, we know you, we, we follow you, we participate in church, in the community, the family of God. As we struggle, as we go through this pandemic, Father, may we see all of our suffering as something you can turn around for good and for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would get the praise and honor. May we be a light into our community, into our city, into our county, into our state, by how we act and what we do. Father, I know there's reason to complain. I know there's reason to be upset and there's reason to be angry and feel that life's not just. I know that. We could focus on that or we could focus on the gospel and we could declare Christ openly. And I pray that would be the message of Sunrise Church because that's the message of the Apostle Paul in all of the shackles, in all the suffering, in the shipwreck, in all of the storms of life. May that be true for us, true too. We pray in your name, amen.